For the summer, we've been looking, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. For the summer, we've been looking at the call of God, the the call that God has put on your life, on my life, on our lives, to love, to serve people, to bring the supernatural power of God to those in need, to do as Jesus did, to undo and to destroy the works of the evil one. We've used Mark chapter 11 as the jumping off point each and every Sunday that we've come together. If, if someone says to this mountain, with great faith and having no doubt, mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the midst of the sea and believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. This is the reason I urge you to boldly believe for whatever you ask for in prayer. Believe that you've received it and it will be yours. That's, that's where we've been focusing for all summer and we continue in that vein this morning, setting up the stage for next weekend when we launch our new season and chart the course for the year that is ahead. And this morning I, wanna, I want to put context, the context of time into this equation that we've been studying. I I want to remind you of of the where and the when that Jesus has called us. I I, I would love to tell you, to be able to tell you that that you get to do what you've been called to do in an easy time, that it's sort of going to be like going to Callaway Park or Disneyland, but that's not what Jesus says at all. I wish I could tell you that it's going to be smooth and easy, but that's just not the case. Jesus has been traveling throughout the country. He's been with his entourage that has been with him, and they've experienced some incredible things. They've seen the blind uh, have their sight restored, the deaf hear again. They've, They've seen dramatic healings. They've seen tormented people return to a peaceful, healthy state of mind. And and they've seen the dead come back to life. And Jesus is on the way to the cross, and he pulls his disciples aside, and he starts to prepare them for for the world that that they will be working in. And he says, I want you to open your eyes. I want you to see what's going on. And he starts to make them aware of their time and of the backdrop that will be their world as they carry on the work that he's called them to. The words that he says is even more applicable to you and to me today than it was to that first generation of first followers. And, and I want us to remember the time that we're in and the time that we've been called to this morning. The text is Matthew chapter 24, and in Matthew chapter 23, he had been in discussions with religious leaders and had pointed out that the people of God, the nation of Israel, had constantly and consistently been in an attitude of of rebellion towards God. God would send a messenger, and they would just turn their back on him, wouldn't listen to him, wouldn't hear him, or even worse, they'd stone him or kill him. They'd been stubborn. They'd been rebellious. And as a result, God would make sure that the city, their house, their city, would be desolate and alone. This was incomprehensible to the Jewish leaders and the followers of Jesus. On the way out of the city, on their way back to Bethany, the disciples said, listen, Jesus, you have to help us here. We don't understand what you're saying. He's, look at these, this beautiful, these beautiful buildings, the, 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 uh, 
the uh, temple buildings. They're, they're incredible. They're, it, it's taken 46 years to build them and prepare them. It's the gem. It's the signature building of the city. And it's also known as God's house. You can't mean that, that God's house is going to be destroyed and left desolate. Jesus, first of all, these buildings were, were built to last for time and eternity. And second, God... Don't allow any, God won't allow anything to happen to his house, the place where he lives and dwells. What do you mean that Israel and particularly Jerusalem will be desolate, will be left alone? Matthew chapter 24, as Jesus was leaving the temple courts, his disciples came to him and they, they pointed out the beautiful aspects of the architecture of the temple structures. And Jesus turned to them and said, take a good look at these things, for I am telling you there will not be one stone left upon another. It will all be leveled. They, they couldn't put their head around that. Jesus knew his times. He he knew the purposes of God. He knew so very well the plan of God. And, and he shocks his listeners with this statement. Get a picture of it in your mind and of all that you see now because I'm telling you the truth that what is coming, the devastation that will visit this city will be so great, so massive that not one stone will be left on top of another. This massive building, this beautiful edifice, this house of God, will look nothing like it does right now. If you, if you come to Calgary and if you start to erase some of the iconic buildings in the city from the landscape, if, if you erase something of what we've known this city to look like, you erase part of our identity Buildings that tell you, oh, you're in Calgary, you're not in Boston, you're not in Vancouver, you're not in Toronto, you're, you're here. The Saddle Dome, the, the Calgary Tower, the Bow Building, the Center Street Bridge. You know when you see those that this is where you live, this is, this is your home. But we're not just talking of, of iconic buildings. This is the house where God lives, the temple. If, if it's not here, where will the Messiah who we've been waiting for, who will come on the scene, where will he reign from? In our times, it will not be a signature building, but instead things that, that we look at as the mainstay of who we are, the mainstay of our, of our economy, the things that add value to our world. If, if someone had said to us way back in, in 2005 that the oil and gas sector would collapse worldwide and Calgary would suffer incredible setbacks. Very few of us would have believed it. But in 2008, that's exactly what happened. And our, and our city hasn't recovered. Still not back to business as usual. In our day and in our time, we will lose things that are important to, to us. Things that we put our trust in things that we believe are important, th things that hold the economy together, make us who we are. But 
But Jesus says that can't stop us from our mission. That, that, that can't impede what God has called us to do. So we continue, verse 3. Later, when they arrived at the Mount of Olives, his disciples came privately to where he was sitting, and, he said, and they said, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will the supernatural sign be that we should expect to signal your coming in the completion of this age? What, what, what Jesus had said to them on the way out of the city had shaken them to the very core of their being. They, they still couldn't wrap themselves around what he was saying. And so, so we need more instruction. We need more detail. You're speaking of an upset that we can't possibly even imagine. Give us more information. Tell us what this looks like. Tell us what other supernatural signs will be indicating that we're coming to the end of time as we know it. Something as big as the, the destruction of the temple has, has end times, has apocalypse written all over it. Is it soon? What, what will be the warning signs? There's two questions that they come with, and, and, and they say, when will this happen? We, we want the time. We want the dates. We want the timeline. Uh, tell us, is it soon? Will, will there be warnings? How, how do we know that your words are true and accurate? Give us a, give us a timeline. What, what will take us from where we are now to a time where the temple isn't even standing? And then the second question was this. What will be the end time sign that we need to be tuned into so that we're aware that, oh yes, this is what Jesus said. The sign that your kingdom will be established politically and you will reign and, and that the old age, the former systems will have come to an end and you will usher in a new time. Give us the times. Give us the signs. Give us the secrets. Matthew doesn't record the, the first answer that Jesus gives, but, but Luke does. In 2120, he says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know for sure that devastation is imminent. You will know that devastation is near when you see the enemy armies come and they're surrounding the cities. Well, it's an answer. It's not really a helpful answer, Jesus. Like, what are we supposed to do when we're surrounded? How do we get out? What do we do to save ourselves? And, and if the city is surrounded, then we, we don't understand how you will move to your throne, how you will take over, how you will rule and reign and give direction to the country. Explain it to us. Help us see the picture. We're just not understanding what you're saying. They could not see it in their heads. They couldn't make the shift that, that God was speaking of. And, and they could not see the end, this end time scenario. It, it was too stark. It was too different from anything that they'd ever thought of or opened their minds to. And the same is true of us. My, my grandparents started passing from the scene in the year 1980. If they could see what they knew in that time and compare it to the reality of today, they would be shocked. Everything is different. In their world, Lucy and Desi on their, on their TV show had to have separate beds 
and could never be undressed and could never not have at least one foot on the floor in the TV show. My grandparents would be shocked to see that hardly anybody wears clothes on TV anymore. And, and they get into bed with all sorts of people. In their times, in, the, in my grandparents' time, they, they never had any technology in their home that was more complex than a rotary phone or the television. Someone was just telling me that somebody came and knocked at their door and said, hey, listen, my battery ran out. I have no phone. Can I, can I use your phone? And they took him to a rotary phone, and he just stood there, and he said, I don't know what that is. How do you work it? My, my grandparents didn't know about the internet, didn't know about home computer, didn't know about smart tech that's available to all of us today and is beyond the scope of what they understood then. My, my, my one grandfather went with me to the airport one day and, and we were picking somebody up and, and he said, what is that lady doing? And I said, which lady? He said, well, that lady over there. And I said, I'm sorry, what, what do you... She's dragging her suitcase. She's not, she's not holding it. She's dragging it. He'd never seen a, a suitcase with wheels on it. So imagine what, how mind-blowing it would be if he was here today. Jesus is saying that there will be radical changes and radical shifts, not only in the time in which he speaks, but in our times, the times before he returns. There will be a major shift. It will happen gradually. It will happen steadily. But the quiet, peaceful existence that was in the world during the disciples' times, that's, that's done. That's, that, that will be radically different. And he says, I want you to wake up to the times that you're in, the times that you're in. Verse 4, Jesus answered, at that time, deception will run rampant. So be wary that you are not fooled. For many will appear on the scene claiming my authority or saying about themselves, I am God's anointed one. And they will lead many astray. Charlatans, deceivers, False prophets, people claiming to have authority and potential that they do not have will show up and say, hey, listen, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the way. Deception will run rampant. Has there ever been a time where that's more true than it is right now? The world believes and follows just about any other belief system and you're not allowed to believe, or, and you're allowed to believe that, but somehow, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a hateful, narrow minded, deceptive person. It, it, it has become dangerous, even in the church, to preach some of what the Lord, uh, God's word says. Several years ago, I preached a, a series on, made, uh, on, on marriage and had three groups of people get up and walk out and never return because. That was old. That's ancient. Don't be teaching that now. The, the hot button right now in church is to say anything about hell. When I preach about hell, I get emails and debates 
Pastor Bill, you don't really believe in a literal hell where those who don't connect with Jesus will go. doesn't matter that it's a major theme of the teaching and the preaching of Jesus. I know that the church hasn't always preached these concepts well. I know that they've often turned them into hobby horses that were politically loaded and emotionally charged. But Jesus says in the commission I give to you to go into the world and make disciples, to undo and destroy the works of the enemy, you need to know that you will do that in an atmosphere and in a community where deception has pervaded the culture and they will have adopted lies as though they were the truth. And they will have rejected truth as though it was a lie. I want you to know, Jesus says to the disciples, and says to you and me right now, beware that in your, in your time and under your commission, you'll run into all sorts of deception. Be careful, he says. Verse 6. You'll hear of wars nearby and revolutions on every side with more rumors of wars to come. But listen, I, I don't want you to panic or, or give in to your fears for the breaking apart of the world's systems is destined to, to happen. But it won't be yet be the end. It still will be unfolding. It, it, it's just the beginning of the, the whole thing coming unraveled and their understanding that without God, nothing stands, nothing matters. Hey, followers, he says, you'll be sent into a, a climate of, con, of, of conflict. There'll be division everywhere. There'll be threats and violence will be part of the headlines in the places that I send you. Families will be split and broken up. Unity in cities will be almost unheard of. People will live and fight their neighbors over political agendas, over social policy, over ethnic differences, over values. Nations will be in a state of flux all the time. War, revolutions, rumors of conflict will be the norm. People will be refugees. In, in our world today, today, September 1st, 2019, 37,000 people will leave the place that they call home because of conflict, because of natural disasters, because of religious persecution. 37,000. And tomorrow, another 37,000 will be forced out of their home and be forced on the road going they don't know where. And that will happen on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, and on Friday, and Saturday. Seventy point eight million refugees live in the world right now because of conflict and persecution. And that number will continue to grow. And Jesus says, in the world that I'm commissioning you to, that will be the norm. But here's what he says to you and to me as you carry out your commission. Don't panic. 
Don't give in to your fears. I'm telling you that the world systems are going to collapse and you don't need to worry. You can be somewhat comforted to know that God knows what's going on and that he's seen the drastic changes that are coming. But know this, there's more changes, more shifts, more upheaval, more overturning of of world systems than even that. Verse 7. Nations will go to war against each other and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be terrible earthquakes, and there'll be seismic events of epic proportion and and horrible epidemics and and famines in place place after place, and and this is how the first contractions and birth pains of the new age will begin. I can almost read your mind. You're thinking, you know, this was a long weekend. I could have slept in. I didn't have to come to listen to (laughs) doom, gloom, and despair. Pastor Bill, you're not really knowing how to appeal to the crowd here. Like, Jesus says it won't just be military battle, although that's a major part of the picture. There are more than 40 armed conflicts going on right now around the world. Forty. But there'll be trade wars that play havoc with our economies and stock markets and our politics. And there'll be religious persecution. Listen listen to this. In the last year, 2018, over 245 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. Last year, 4,305 Christians that we know of were killed for one reason and one reason alone, their faith. One thousand eight hundred and forty seven churches and other Christian buildings were attacked, burned to the ground, some of them. Three thousand one hundred and fifty believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned just because of their faith in Jesus Christ. My my grandparents would never have believed never thought that in 2018 the two most dangerous places in the world to be would be schools and church. These are the times, Jesus says, that you've been called to. This This is the backdrop, the cultural backdrop of where I'm calling you to. Don't don't worry, don't be paralyzed by fear. This is the beginning of change. Verse 9. This is where it really gets really warm and fuzzy. You can expect to be persecuted, even killed, for you will be hated by the nations because of your love for me. Then many will stop following me and fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another, and many lying prophets will arise, deceiving multitudes and leading them away from the path of truth. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others 
will grow cold. But keep your hope. Keep your hope to the end and you will experience life and deliverance. Please allow me to tell you on this holiday weekend when you were hoping that I'd preach something light and fluffy and somewhat inspirational that, that we are talking about the words of Jesus here. These are his words and they are as real to us as it, they were to the 12 that were standing in front of him. He, he, he's talking about a dedication. He's talking about a commitment to the commission that's unparalleled. It, it, it's not the easy commitment that we've come to expect from church people. I will be here when I can. I will do what I can, but I'm busy and I have a hundred irons in the fire, and so I won't be able to be here very often. Jesus says that Saying that you belong to him comes attached, comes connected to a cost. A tremendous cost. You, you won't be the most popular person in town. You will be hated for your belief. Deceivers will come, a, a fresh wave of of persecution will be released by the evil one. It, it's so interesting to go through the Bible and to watch when God makes a major move on the earth, the evil one comes up and says, listen, I'm going to do everything I can to cut it off. We, we see Moses, he's sent as the deliverer for Israel, and, and, and the Pharaoh says, I want all the boys two years and under killed. Jesus is born, and Herod stands up, and he says, listen, I know he's in here somewhere. Just, just eradicate all the young baby boys. The enemy knows the times, and he says, release every power, every weapon that we have. Deceivers will come in a fresh new wave. You can... You can think people will love and accept you because of your faith, but they will turn on you. They will betray you. Sin will become the norm. Lawlessness will be the order of the day. Even some who once were passionate for their God and had a love for people, their love, their fervor will grow, grow, grow cold. It's been a heartbreak for me over these last couple of years to learn of colleagues who have either walked away from God totally and live in an immoral lifestyle or have joined a cult. Men who preached with fervor and love. He's talking about dedication. Sin will become the norm. Lawlessness will be the order of the day. But it's, it's important that we, we read the whole sentence. Despite the times you live in, despite the chaos around you, despite the fact that the world is speeding up in the wrong direction, you people keep your hope alive. 
Stay true to the call. And at the end of the program, you will receive and experience life to its fullest measure. And you will experience deliverance. You'll, you'll say, I'm so glad I held on to God the whole way. Look at all that I've, in, that I've inherited. Keep your hope alive. I, I, I want you to know that as a young Christian, I disliked this chapter. It bothered me. It gave me nightmares. It disturbed me. I avoided it when I could, but when I had to look at it because someone was preaching at it, I, was, I believed that it was for people behind the iron curtain or behind the bamboo curtain, people who lived in dark nations, not here. It seemed hopeless and pointless to even talk about it. We live in Canada, a Christian country. Stand up, Jesus says. Do what you do. Keep your hope alive. And, and, but Jesus, what? Stand up. I get knocked down. I get beat up. I get betrayed and mocked. What, what's the sense? When I go to a new city, I try to discover the, the areas that I should keep away from, the, the areas that, that are renowned for not being good places for visitors to go to. And, and I stay in the safe streets and at the secure sites. As a tourist, that's just, that's just a smart thing to do. Forty years ago, friends of mine, we just finished college and we had a good summer job. And so we hopped on a plane and we spent ten days in Honolulu. And one night, at about 11.30... We got off the bus at the wrong place, and we looked around, and my friend said to me, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. It, it was a, we, we couldn't get out of there fast enough. We were looking for police, and, and the police weren't even there. How, how do we get out of here? And Jesus says, with the commission that you have, Go charging in to all of this danger. Verse 14. Yet, through it all, through all of this deception, through all of this persecution, through all of this violence and, and conflict and, and, and disunity, through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And after this, the end of the age will arrive and there will be a glorious party thrown. You have to get to verse 14. Remember the time. You're, you're called to a difficult time. While, while all of this is going on, you will be a part of an exciting release of God's power. He starts with the, the negative thing. Yes, hell will release everything that it has. Every arsenal that is in their possession, they will release it in an attempt to destroy the works of God. But... The gospel is not just some solid theology and nice words mixed together with, with, with some pleasant pictures. It is the power of God. I am not ashamed, Paul says, of the power of the gospel of God. For it is the power of God. It is released. It's transformation of lives. It's transformation of society. It's a city that goes from, from dark and depressing places where demons live and have, have the rule of the streets. And it's renowned for bringing grace joy to a city 
It, it, it's Saul being this hateful, spiteful, angry man who's, who's, who's mad at people who bring difference to what he's known. And, and he's transformed by the grace and the mercy of God. And he becomes a church planter and transforms the, the landscape, the spiritual landscape of his, his day and generation with the, with the fire and passion of Jesus. In every nation... In every nation, there will be a demonstration of the reality of God. There are nations right now that if you go and you knock on the border and you say, listen, I want to come in, I'm a, I'm a representative of Jesus, I want to preach the gospel, they will not let you in. You can't come in here. I think the last time I, I read the statistic, there's 46 nations where the gospel's not allowed to be preached. But Jesus says, in this dark time where chaos seems to be ruling, I want you to know that it, it isn't really ruling. Even in those places, the gospel will be lifted up and there will come change and transformation. The power of God will be released. In every nation, there will be a demonstration of the reality of God. What, what, what does he mean? What is Jesus meaning when he talks about the reality of God? It's the release of of God's power. It's, it's signs and wonders and miracles that convince people who once mocked the existence of God to become people who are followers of God. In these times, you were sent out and you were commissioned to. The, the world will be falling apart at the seams, but in it all you will have this joy-filled assurance, this, this calm, this peace, that the kingdom that you declare and, and release is changing the world one person at a time. I grew up in my grandparents' living room. I, I loved, my grandpa and grandma were pastors for 48 or 49 years. And they lived in a time where being Pentecostal was seen as being part of a cult. That my, my grandfather was never allowed to join the local ministerial because those Pentecostals are weird stuff. He talks, talked about different cities that he lived in and that he and his wife moved to the city of Vernon, British Columbia. Two women had gone into that town with a tent, pitched the tent in downtown Vernon and started to preach the gospel. For a year, through, through summer and through winter, they preached the gospel and they had a small group of converts at the end of the year. And so they phoned and said, listen, we're evangelists. We're going to pick up our tent. We're going to move to the next needy town. Could you send us pastors? And so it was my grandpa and grandma who were the first pastors in that town. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed and the Holy Spirit of God came into that meeting. People were filled with the Holy Spirit. Lives were changed um, they had a storefront kind of church. They found an abandoned building and they, they just 
cleared out everything and put in some chairs, some stools, and, and, and they preached. And, and at 7 o'clock, after all the farmers had done their milking, they came in and they, they would start off with prayer. And sometimes they never got past the praying part. They just, the, the Holy Spirit came and, and filled the room and, and, and he would tell stories of the town drunk who came in and was confronted with the power of God and his life was instantaneously changed and turned around and, and, and he never drank after that and he became a, a godly man, a, a leader in his family and a leader in the church. And, and there was people around that area that didn't like the Pentecostals because Sunday night was really loud. Like they were praying and they were worshiping and they were singing and, and so they, they went and said to the police, we think you should go to that Pentecostal thing and see what's going on. And, and so the policeman walked in and, and, and it had been just before he came that the, there was a wave that washed through the place and, and people had been standing and crying and praying and praising and they were all just fell to the ground. The power of God was so incredibly intense that they couldn't stand up anymore. And so the policeman asked, who's in charge here? And so they found my grandpa with his head buried in the carpet praying and, and being ministered to, and the policeman tapped him on the shoulder and get, get, get up. And, and my grandpa got up and he said, I want you to get all of these people up off the ground and I want you to send them home. Now, my grandpa, he was a meek man. He was a nice man. He, he tried to do what was right, but for some reason, he looked the policeman in the, in the eye and he said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And the policeman said, I, I didn't say that there was a, an option. I said, get those people up off the ground and send them home. And grandpa said, I didn't put them there. And I'm not going to mess with what God's doing. And with that, the policeman went back over on the floor. <laughs> you see, Jesus says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the times that you live in. This is a Christian flag. And do you see what color the cross is? It's the red cross. It's the blood-stained cross. And he said, I want, you not to, I want you to be aware of what's going on, but I don't want you to be afraid of what's going on. I want you to take the gospel in its power. I want you to take the red cross and go to wherever people are needing. And I want you to stand there in the expectation that the Holy Spirit will come and will release in you and through you the power to do supernatural things. I want you to believe that the worst enemy of the cross will be the best servant of God wants the... I, I don't want you to be distracted by what's going on. I want you to be strong in the Lord and in the expectation that he's going to do something amazing. I need you, Mrs. Hansen, to come to the keys and play the song that you played after the offering when you walk into the room. Church, this is, this is where we're going this year. I want you to know that you are as called, you are as commissioned as I am. You, you have your own congregation. You have your own people. You're, you're going into, I, 
I'm lucky. I come in on a Sunday morning and you're my, my group and I get, you've got your hearts wide open. You've got spirit of expectation and, and I just get to tell you what God's been telling me for the week and you can take it and use it in the places that you go where the congregation isn't so kind, isn't so receptive. And God says, listen, don't, don't worry about that. If there's, if there's deception in your workplace, just stand strong in the Lord and believe that he will reveal himself as the truth, the only truth. Just these last couple of weeks, I've, I've run into this phrase over and over again. People say, well, this is my truth. Here am I, send me. Where, where there's conflicts, he said, listen, I've, I've sent you to be people of reconciliation, people who tear down dividing walls and join families that have been broken apart. Yeah, I, people who have been estranged from God all their life to bring them and make them sons and daughters. He said, I want you to know the times you live in. I don't want you to be afraid of the times. I want you to be aware of what's going on, but I want you to know this. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You carry God on your life. When you walk into the room, you may not be aware of it, but light just came into darkness. You may not be aware of it, But your words have punch, have impact, have power. At some point, I'll give you the whole story, but I, I just want to give you this one snippet. There was one of the pastors who preached on, on one of the nights, and, and he talked about the table, and he, he said, you know, everybody belongs at the table, and, and, and he just did the whole message on that. And, and I saw Dave the next day, and I went up to Dave, and I, and I hugged him. And I said, Dave, I want you to know there was such sin in my heart. I was so proud of you last night. You did so well. Dave is the leader of the fellowship that we used to belong to, and I had always said, listen, when we leave, we're going to be friends. We're all going to be friends. Or we're not on different teams. We're just under a different banner. And there were some people who didn't like that. Some people who said other things and mean things and horrible things. And, and I said, Dave, I was just so proud of you. And I had no idea that this was in my own heart. But he came and he said, Bill, I want you to know you're at the table. So here I am in the Calgary Convention Center with my head in the corner, just, <laughs> just sobbing the ugly sobs. I love them, I love Dave, but they haven't always loved us back. <laughs> and there was just that door. And, and all of a sudden I said, words make a difference. The power of life and death. Stand up with me. We want to sing this song. When you walk into the room, everything changes. That's true of Jesus. But you have Jesus in you, the hope of glory. 
You're his ambassador. You're his representative. When you walk in, things change. I've been praying all week that that would open up in your eyes and in your understanding, that you wouldn't be afraid by of what you see and what's going on, but that you'd realize. Does that make sense to you? Good, good. It's all going to go to H-E double hockey sticks in a handbag. But you carry the hope of the world. You are the people of faith who say to the mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. You are the one who finds the the individual that it looks hopeless and helpless and you throw them the ring of life and pull them in and they become a, from a Saul to a Paul. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Sing this.